You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Rates up globally after Fed policy statement. Oil prices down and stocks down too. Let's talk about that and more in the context of retirement savings with Ramsey Smith, founder and CEO of Alex.FYI. Ramsey, welcome back to Real Vision. Thanks. It's been uh, it's been too long. It's great to be back. Yeah, very good to talk to you. Uh, you know, uh, as you were saying to me right before you got on. We're a macro shop. Uh, we care a lot about macro, but we also care about our personal finance. And you're someone who knows a little bit about that, uh, having worked at uh, Goldman with insurance companies and now, you know, uh, founder and CEO of Alex.FYI. Maybe before we get into what's going on in the markets and how we've got to think about our retirement based on that, you can give us a little background on what you do at Alex.FYI. So we are we're a retirement solutions company. We started out focusing on uh, direct-to-consumer distribution of annuities, and it soon became clear that the 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 problems that annuity addresses and the discussion around getting to the right kind of annuity involves a very important planning process. So we're we're a more of a retirement solutions company. Annuities are a core competency, uh, but we're we're really focusing on on helping people answer a broad number of questions, one of which is, you know, how to make the most of what is everybody's first annuity and pension plan, which is Social Security. So that's something that we're going to be adding to the, uh, the tool mix in the near future. That is great. And, you know, obviously, you're someone who knows markets, uh, having worked at Goldman Sachs for a number of years. Uh, you worked with insurance companies. You worked in global markets. Um, let me just pose the general question. I mean, you know, the lead-in that I gave today was talking about rates going up uh, in that context, stock prices down. Let's just forget about oil for a second there. A lot of this is due to the fact that the economy in the United States in particular is doing really well. People are expecting a reopening that's going to be very positive for global growth. How are we supposed to be thinking about this in terms of what the range of outcomes are economically and, and maybe for the markets? So um, a few things. So the other thing I'll mention is, yes, I worked at Goldman. I worked very closely with your founder, Raul Powell, by the way, uh, back in those days. Um, so there's a number of things. I think that the, uh, that the current rise in rates, first of all, as somebody that's in, uh, in a business, it's essentially a spread business. Uh, it's, it's, good for, it's good for pretty much every product in the insurance business, whether annuities or life insurance, et cetera. So that's a, uh, that's a good thing in, uh, in the, the near to medium term. Uh, I, I, I tend to think that the rise in rates is probably going to be somewhat temporary. Uh, my, my view is that while we're, we're in a period of great stimulus, we're in a period where um, there are going to be a lot of people, there's a lot of animal spirits that are waiting to come back in the market. I think that those you know, might, uh, one, be inflationary in the short term, and two, uh, will you know, potentially lead to, to higher rates. 
I, my, my view actually over the longer term is one that, you know, that, that, the, that most of the forces in the, in the economy are actually more deflationary. So I'm, I'm still a believer in the long run that, um, that deflation will rule and that, um, that we may, you know, end up seeing the lows in interest rates as well sort of out, you know, once we get past this initial, this initial push. Interesting. You know, so you and your former colleague, uh, Mr. Powell, are pretty much on the same page because that's very similar to some of the things that I've heard him saying. Yeah. You know, uh, the question is, is but in the here and now, but mm-hmm. in the short to medium term, can this rate rise uh, actually turn into something that's bad? And if it can turn into something that's bad, is it uh, something, what is it that's going to happen? Is it the dollar is it uh, the actual rates themselves hurting different parts of uh, the stock market or the economy? What happens potentially over the medium term? Well, I don't know if it hurts the economy. Um, well, look, higher rates are, are obviously less accommodative. So in some sense, it will, it, will, it will clearly affect the economy. But if I think sort of a bit more locally to sort of specific verticals, I think it will it will probably have an impact on the housing market, so it may slow down sort of the rate of uh, purchases and refinancings that we've uh, that we've seen. Um, you know, another vertical that it, that's very interesting to me is uh, is is the bond market, uh, particularly uh, you know, particularly particularly the the companies that are very close to the edge of the uh, investment grade versus um, uh, versus 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 junk. Uh, all those, all those companies and other companies you know, will obviously have uh, to pay higher rates to 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 refinance uh, now versus you know, where we were, in, you know, in the last in the last several several months or so or even years. So, I think those are the those are the issues that I would I would worry about is that 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 parts of the economy that are very sort of refinancing driven. So again, so certain certain aspects of the bond market as well as um, as well as the housing market. That's that's where I, I that's where I would be worried about sort of a more uh, immediate drag. So let's take a wider lens then mm-hmm. uh, to this, uh, and rather than a wider lens going mm-hmm. forward, let's look back because you and I we've spoken a number of times, but you know the last time that we actually spoke about the annuities business and retirement mm-hmm. in general. Uh, at length, I think was probably before the pandemic, and yeah. the pandemic has changed a lot of stuff. I mean, when you are thinking back over the last year, it was a year ago actually, a year ago in two days that we had this twelve percent down move, and then the Fed stepped in a year yeah. ago. I think it was March the twenty third. I mean, what's what's changed in your business materially that our listeners, our viewers, should be thinking about? So there, there are, are two things that have changed. So one, up until the very recent rise of rates, rates have been going down, which you know it was uh, was creating, which can create challenges. And, and again, in a business that's driven by that's very rate driven. So whether you buy a an annuity that's paying a rate of interest, or if you buy an annuity that is um, providing some kind of exposure to a a stock market index, your participation in that index is driven by a hedge budget, which driven by the yield of the portfolio that backs it. So uh, lower rates were definitely creating a lot of challenges there. So I, again, I will say that like rates going up is good for the is good for the good for the insurance industry because it, it allows them to sort of pass more um, more um, uh, yield 
onto their customers via the pricing of their products. Uh, the other thing that's been happening uh, in the recent, uh, in the last year or two, that's been quite interesting is that there's been a uh, a lot of change in ownership in the space. So uh, one of the things that we've seen is we've seen a a lot of uh, alternative shops, either either launch businesses that are annuity based or purchase ones that are annuity based. So one example is KKR bought uh, Global Atlantic, which is uh, my former colleagues from Goldman. They used to be the the Goldman Sachs Reinsurance Group. They spun out of Goldman. Uh, they built a very robust business organically and via um, via acquisition, and they were most recently purchased by um, purchased by by KKR. And that is that's part of a longer term trend that goes back to 2008 2009. That started with a company called Athene, um, which um, I understand is also being uh, being um, merged with its affiliate Apollo. But it goes back to then with this, this idea that. But annuity books have real value as sources of permanent capital. And so you saw a first wave of, of those kinds of acquisitions happening in 08, 09, 2010 back then. And then you're seeing a more recent wave uh, of the same thing in the last few years. And you know, a lot of it's being driven by um, some of the, um, the more sort of famous names in the, uh, in the PE space. So those are those are those are a couple of the trends that you know that that I'm certainly keeping my keeping my eye on. Yeah, so let's think about retirement more generally speaking. Okay. I mean, you are someone obviously who was uh, in the insurance space, but when you're thinking about this environment over the mm-hmm. last year, uh, what's changed for how you're thinking about people's retirement and whether or not they can get the yield the um, the return that they're looking for in the various vehicles that are available to them. In particular, let me just talk about the yeah. 60 portfolio, which by the way, I don't think annuities are necessarily a part of. Yeah. So that's, that's a, that's a big conversation is like where, as you're, as you're thinking about, if you're thinking about your portfolio and you, you look at the traditional 60, 40, uh, is there a place for, replacing some or all of the, the, the fixed income portion of it with some kind of annuity. And there's different ways to handle that. So uh, one simple approach, uh, which, is, which is very much very similar to buying a bond, is buying a multi-year guaranteed annuity, which is, um, again, so it's a horrible acronym for a very simple product because it's, it's very similar to, say, like a CD. Uh, right now, if you, buy, if you buy one of those offered by uh, some of the carriers that have some of the the, the lower ratings, um, they can pay you know close to you know high twos or you know close to three percent. So that's that to me is actually sort of the easiest implementation um, because the rates are good relative to to obvious alternatives uh, and uh, they're tax efficient. And beyond that, uh, you don't um, you don't lose control of your money. So after the guarantee is over, you can take your money back and you can reinvest it elsewhere as you as you see fit. Uh, the annuities that that we spent a lot of time discussing last time we were on this show, I was on the show, uh, were annuities that were um, similar to a pension plan, and they were either immediate annuities or deferred income annuities. Annuities that where you you give a lump sum of money to the, the to an insurance carrier, and they make a stream of payments to you 
to you for life. And generally, there are some exceptions. There's some writers you can you can choose. There's some selections, but in, in its purest form, you're getting back money uh, till the day you die. So if you live to five more years, the payments end there. If you live 55 more years, you get you obviously get your money much for a much longer period of time. And those um, those structures, the payouts have suffered a bit. One just because of the um, because interest rates of interest rates had had, had come down up until now, um, and two the, the the thing that a lot of people need to get by with those is is that once they hand the money over to the insurance company, uh, it's it's you have to live you live you live your live out your days to get your money back, and so some people are comfortable with that, other people uh, don't want that. So the um, the uh, the multi year guaranteed annuity is interesting because it it. Um, it looks a lot more like a CD or a bond, uh, and so it's a it's a much sort of much more familiar uh, structure of, of payment. And again, this idea you get your principal back at the end of the guarantee period is also something that's more familiar to, to most people. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So, this whole two to three percent mm-hmm. number that you were talking about, mm-hmm. that's the thing that sticks out to me as you say that yeah. two to three percent is not a huge number. Uh, what are you going to do with that? Because no one can live off of two to three percent. Uh, you know, given the sort of returns that people are expecting, uh, how much are you going to get from equities to uh, compensate that? How much are you going to get from the bond part of your portfolio? Where else do you go? I mean, if you're thinking holistically in terms of your retirement portfolio, what do you do now in the environment that we're in where, A, you know, yields have come down, even though they're coming up, you're telling me, actually, you know what, disinflation is still there, and likely yields will stay relatively low for the foreseeable future. I mean, that's that's my view. That's the long-term trend. So the the one thing I'll say up front is like I've I've never posited uh, uh, annuities as a substitute for for equity exposure. Quite quite the contrary. The whole the whole idea behind having a a low risk sources of of uh, either yield or you know other you know either yield or Straight yield or, or or an income stream that you might get from a like for example from a from a immediate annuity that that includes yield and what are called mortality credits. The whole idea is to is to impart stability on your portfolio so that you've got part of your portfolio that's delivering a guaranteed income that covers your basic expenses so that you can stay invested in the stock market or elsewhere uh, without having to dip into that principle to to cover. Um, to cover your your expenses and periods of market downdrafts, so that's the that's the goal. I'm a. I, I, by the way, this is not investment advice because I, I I'm not in that I'm not in that in the investment business. I'm in the insurance business, um, but I, I am I, I am a uh, I'm a believer in I'm a believer in equity in the equity markets, and I think they should be an important part of anybody's port, portfolio. Um, if you're asking me, you know, what my view is. For the equity markets in the coming year or two, um, you know, uh, I can't. You know, I don't have a. I don't have a crystal ball. Um, I think that. Um, I think that the liquidity that's coming from the stimulus will be helpful to the markets. I think that the uh, the 
the the the activity of people coming back into the coming back into the market from being inside their houses will be coming coming out of the business world or or just going out and enjoying themselves will be um, should be should all provide decent um, decent decent tailwinds. Um, at the same time, I see a um, I see a, a a market that has some you know some things that should be concerning. So there's a lot of a lot of the value of the market, a lot of the gains of the market are concentrated in a small number of companies. And then you have these funding issues that I was talking about earlier, which may ultimately end up impacting you know a lot of the other companies in the uh, in the market that aren't uh, in the top five or ten uh, technology companies that that, that are dominating uh, that have been dominating the scene. So uh, let me uh, sort of unpack mm-hmm. that uh, sure. and give you a, a, a thesis here. So uh, we're now we're, let's forget about sixty forty. Yeah. Let's talk about bonds, annuities, and equities. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, we know that bonds are returning very low amounts, and potentially, yeah. given our conversation, this is going to continue into the future. There's a number that you put out in terms of annuities uh, in the 2 to 3% range. Mm-hmm. And then we have equities where you can get more returns, where people have traditionally looked to have a larger percentage of their portfolio but given where valuations are now and some of the things that are actually happening in the market, the longer term, let's call it the five, seven, 10 year return profile is relatively uncertain there. So if you package all that up together, you're talking about a situation where just from a retirement perspective, if those are three of the pieces of, of your mm-hmm. eye, you're you're likely to underperform relative to you know uh, previous uh, performances over you know the last bull market that we've had. Uh, that's quite possible. I mean, you can only right, you can only work with what you're given, right? So you know, it, it, it's quite possible. If you, if you take the thesis, if I understand you correctly, you're saying you think that like so the. We expect that you see the expected returns of equity markets being lower for the next five to seven years than they were in the past. Is that did I get that right? Well, yeah, I don't know if I would call yeah. that my thesis. I'm saying that I'm I'm positing that as a yeah. uh, you know an outcome based upon what you were saying about some of the froth that you were pointing to. Yeah. Well, I think I think I think you have to operate under the assumption that's at least a possibility. So I hope the equity markets perform extremely well. But you have to operate under under the assumption that that it's at least a possibility that after uh, after the you know the strong markets that we've had up until you know uh, with the exception of with the exception of that that moment earlier this uh, earlier in 2020 that markets have been over overall strong you you have to expect that at some point there's going to be there are going to be some pullbacks and in my mind to the extent that you can you can build a a defensive portfolio. That allows you to weather those pullbacks again, where you have steady income coming from. Look, whether it's from bonds, whether it's from um, an annuity that's that's like a, like a, like the MIGA I mentioned, which again is very bond-like, and that you get return of principal, or it's from a an immediate immediate annuity or from a deferred income annuity uh, that is paying you a fixed amount. And depending on your age, if you were sixty-five, it wouldn't be three uh, percent a year; it would be more like more like five, five to six percent a year, depending on if you're you're male or female. Um, like the key is to is to build a scaffold a portfolio that mm-hmm. has 
true low risk sources of guaranteed income, and I count social security in there too, um, that allow you to weather the storm on your, your risky assets. So, you know, another area that that's worth everybody taking a closer look at that it isn't even market related is to reevaluate where you are on uh, your social security planning. Um, social security is an extraordinarily valuable source of income. Uh, it's an annuity, it's a pension and everybody, virtually everybody has access to it. Certainly everybody in the United States. And one of the things that's been enlightening to me is that the the difference between a good social security claiming strategy, and what I mean by claiming strategy is what you instruct the social security administration to do on your behalf. Um, the difference between a good strategy and a bad strategy uh, can, you know, can be measured in, in hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, mm, that's um, interesting. yeah. So it, it, in my mind, um, I, I don't view myself as an evangelist for, a specific product, I view myself as an evangelist for incorporating uh, incorporating low risk guaranteed sources of income, you know, or hopefully guaranteed as close as possible to guaranteed sources of income as part of your retirement portfolio. Whether that comes from from the government, whether that comes from a a pension plan, whether that comes from a a privately sourced annuity, whether that comes from a tontine, whether that comes from your uncle Bob that you know, is, has a triple A credit rating, right? Uh, I want to focus on the, the basic concept of, of, of using that as a tool to lower stress in your retirement and give you the ability to, to take greater risk elsewhere in your portfolios. Nice. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, um, and, and that's good because then you will be able to take the risk on the equity side. But, you know, going back to the social security- Or Bitcoin side, if you want to. I mean, wherever it is you want to do. Right, right. I mean, I'm not advocating Bitcoin, but you know that's. Uh oh, the... <laughs> yeah. You know, like I, I've, uh, there are those in in our um, user group who are they don't want to hear anything about uh, crypto. Uh, so I'm really, I thought everybody wanted. I thought everybody on. I thought everybody that's in the real vision uh, audience wanted to focus on crypto and little else. That's uh, it, it, just based on the, 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 the shows I've seen come across, by the way, I, I've loved the, I've loved the discussion. So that's okay. Uh, I just, Excellent. Uh, well, uh, everyone, if you're watching this in the comments, tell us like, how much crypto are, are, are you, are you looking for on the yeah. non crypto side? Uh, I think it'll be in, interesting to see what people have to say, yeah. Ramsey. Sure. Um, uh, but, you know, the, the thing that caught my eye about everything that you said was of those uh, those potentially or largely guaranteed options that you have available to you, uh, there were hundreds of thousands of dollars difference between outcomes for Social Security, which is a mainstay within the United States. Yeah. What's uh, how, how is that possible to walk us through sure. what those differences are? So let's first talk about you know, what what Social Security provides, and it's pretty remarkable. It it provides a set of it provides a set of um, of, of benefits that that you really can't source privately, um, both from a credit risk perspective and actually because of, you know some of the um, uh, some of the some of the the features that are that are built into it. Uh, you you know at age you can start at age sixty two and you can delay as much to age seventy. But the the basic function is you get a you get a dollar amount. It's based on <clears throat> it's based on how much you put in. You know there's a formula and I won't get into the specifics. 
Um, but it, you know, a formula that determines you know what your 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 initial payout is at your full retirement age, which for you and me, Ed, is going to be sixty-seven. Um, but uh, for somebody that's retiring in the near term, it might be sixty-five. Uh, you can potentially start collecting money at sixty-two, but you'll get less money. And if you delay to age seventy, you'll get you know you'll get more money per month. And uh, there's a few features that are that are that are interesting about it. So one is that for every year you delay relative to your full retirement age, the amount you'll get per month goes up by eight percent. So that's 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 a that's a big guaranteed bump for delaying, you know, for a year. Like if you have the if you have the cash flow available to not take your social security and and um and 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 live comfortably up until you know you eventually take it, uh, you're getting an eight percent roll up on your on your monthly payment. Uh, the other thing that you're getting with social security is you're getting a cost of living adjustment. And one of the things that that um, you know that I learned in my you know my days when I was still at Goldman and I still observe here is that you know in inflation is um, inflation pure inflation is hard to come by. Right, so a lot of people will invest in equities as a proxy for inflation. You can buy, you can buy tips, but you know I, I haven't looked at them lately. But they always generally seem to be relatively expensive to me. Um, there aren't, you know, there aren't that many ways to efficiently get inflation. Uh, I can say that insurance companies can't actually provide it to you efficiently. They can provide you sort of proxies for inflation, but you know, I, I find those to be a bit expensive. Um, but the government is going to give you a cost of living adjustment uh, every year. Um, it typically averages about one and a half percent or so, but the um, but it's been it's been much higher in, in prior environments, obviously. But that's a all those features together are are quite are quite valuable. And so when you look at what a um, if you look at what uh, the differences between somebody, especially a couple, claiming uh, claiming their their benefits at age sixty two versus delaying to age 70 and then making some optimized decisions about um, about the primary person's claims versus spousal claims uh, it, you 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 can actually uncover some real really sort of meaningful differences in uh, in dollar value and what's most striking to me Ed is that so few people understand this it's not like these tools haven't been around so sometimes those tools are reside in a book Someone's just, you, know, you, can, you, can, you can read a long book and figure it out. Uh, you, can, you can use software, and we're going to be providing that software on our website uh, in, uh, you know, in, the, in the relatively near future. Um, or you can hire a social security advisor that can, that can walk you through it. And, and what I'll say is in this conversation, I'm, gonna, I'm really going to just speak to very, very general principles because you know, there's a, it's, a, it's a fairly detailed art, if you will, to figure out the, you know, the most optimal solutions. But suffice to say, the information is out there, but the level of awareness that I find among consumers I speak to at all socioeconomic levels about the value of social security is remarkable. So um, I, I, asked a, I asked a gentleman that was a, he was a, he actually ran, ran, runs the investment banking division of a fairly large financial institution. And I, I asked him to estimate what he thought his social security benefit was worth. And I think he estimated, you know, PV of 50 or a hundred thousand dollars, something like that. And again, that's assuming that like we all get what we're promised. Right. So I'm going to take that as a, take that as a given, but, uh, 
And and I and I I said, well, no, it's you know I don't know exactly what your number is, but assuming you've been paid as well as you've probably been paid for your entire career, and this is a guy that was probably in his forties, I said, by the time you're you're sixty five, um, you know the the or I should say the, the the PV today, assuming you work you work the full number of years and you get the full benefit and everything else like that, but the PV of that you know of 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 your social security benefit is in the many hundreds of thousands. It's certainly not 50 or hundred thousand. It's, it's quite a bit larger. So there's lack of, there's lack of awareness about what the, what the value is. There's lack of awareness about how to maximize that value. And I'm fascinated by it because uh, in addition to being able to help people create some real change in their, their net worth, it doesn't feel like net worth, but effectively it is. Um, uh, they're uh, they're they're able to uh, you know we're we're able to sort of give them some 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 real value and we were able to educate them about what an annuity is and what a pension is, you know all all at once. And the last piece that I actually neglected to mention, which is a shame because my specialty is effectively longevity, is that this is a benefit that pays you till you die. So you've got this benefit that is inflation adjusted that pays you as long as you live and is backed by the U.S. government. Uh, and, uh, you know, minus some political risk, which may be quite, you know, which may ultimately be quite meaningful, but we can't say how much, uh, there is real value in evaluating it. And what's striking is once you tell people what it's worth, it's not just the, you know, mass affluent that want to know how to maximize the value. People that have real wealth want to know the answer too, because, uh, it's, it is a single asset. It's significant. So yeah, Ramsey, I think all of that is amazing information. And you know, what it really makes me think about is what you were saying earlier to me about just how people receive investment advice, uh, especially after the pandemic, how that's changed. I mean, we're talking about receiving retirement advice. Uh, talk to me about how that's changed, what the pandemic has done to how we receive that advice. Sure. So um, I'm going to do that in two parts. First part is that uh, there the the advent of COVID has accelerated uh, advice, remote advising in, in a way that I think is very positive. So there's a lot more willingness from consumers to receive their advice over Zoom, and and there are a lot of advisors and um, and agents that are learning how to do that. Uh, you know, unfortunately, there are a lot of others that are sort of struggling with with how to do it. So there are going to be winners and losers from that process. I think that in the end, the consumer wins. Uh, I think that um, that having the flexibility to do things remotely as well as in person, you know, when and where appropriate, is is better overall for the industry. So I, I would like to see as much of it as possible. Now. On the path to getting there, the question is like, well, you know, what are some of the impediments? So, we uh, we actually put an interesting poll up on our on our uh, on our LinkedIn page this past week, and uh, you know, it was it was about it's a topic that I think is actually you know is I'm surprised it isn't talked about more, and it goes as follows. And this is I'll read the question. The poll question was, as the nation nationwide vaccine rollout unfolds. Uh, business conducted in person may increase. Is it appropriate to say you are fully vaccinated on your LinkedIn profile? And uh, the question was inspired by one, you know, this, again, this sort of gravitational pullback to 
to more in person. Again, I think remote advising will be bigger than it used to be, but in person will happen. And then also sort of seeing what's happening in other countries like Israel, where once you get vaccinated, you have a passport, which means that you can go some places that people that aren't vaccinated are, you know, can go and what that all means. And, and obviously it's something that can be politicized and there's all sorts of potential issues there, but uh, it's also a business. It's just a straight business issue. So I, there were four potential answers to the question. So is it appropriate to say you're fully vaccinated on your LinkedIn profile? First question, first answer, first choice was yes, it's totally appropriate. 37% said yes to that. Um, the next one was yes, it's a competitive advantage. So a somewhat utilitarian Machiavellian mm -hmm. approach. 8% right. said that. Um, the third answer was no, not appropriate. 40% said that. And the last one was uh, no, total blank move. <laughs> and you can <laughs> fill in the blank as you see fit. And 15% <laughs> said that. So 55% said no, 45% yes. And um, but the really interesting things came out in the comments, and and they were they obviously reflected both sides. But there were some people that came up with creative ideas, like yes, it's okay, but don't put it front and center, don't brag about it. It put it somewhere in your profile where if somebody wants to meet with you, they can find it and they know they can meet safely. Um, and again, lots of other comments all over the all over the map. But but that that to me was actually the 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 best sort of in my view, the best, the best middle ground. I think that this is a topic as people, more people get vaccinated, this is going to be talked about more because there will be some sort of separation, right? Some people will take meetings and do things in person and some won't. Some people will want to know, um, should you have an ID? Should you bring your card? What does all that mean? I think that's going to be a real topic. And I'm just surprised it hasn't come up more yet. Yeah, I think that is a very important point. And, you know, I, I don't know how many months we are to being there, but who knows, within the next half year, next six months, everything that you're talking about will become a reality and people yeah. will want to know, uh, you know, what that reality is. So uh, great conversation, Rams. I really appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, let's see what people said to your thought, thought thinking about Bitcoin <laughs> and crypto uh, in the comments as well. Right. <laughs> Hey, you know what? I, I'm uh, I've always been fascinated about it by it, and uh, I'm uh, I'm more focused on it than ever. Excellent. Well, right. we'll have to we'll have to get uh, pick your brain on that at some point. All right. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.